with you this morning. We're glad you're here at Alliance. Uh, we're excited about today. We're excited that you're here to be a part of it with us. So thanks for coming. Thanks for um, being with us this morning. Uh, it's August. Can you believe it? It is the month of August. That means summer is going to go on for just another three or four months, and then we'll be done. But it's, it's August. I can't believe it. In August, we're, we, we get excited about the month of August here at Alliance because it's, uh, it's, in the month of August for us is kind of like kind of like the beginning of a new year, because a lot of our programs and ministries and the things that we do kind of work off of the school calendar. And so the month of August is a time where certain programs and classes that maybe took the summer off are getting ready to start back up, and we have some new things that are getting ready to start up that we're really excited about. So there's lots of new things that are happening. It's kind of like the kickoff of a new year for us. And so we get excited about the month of August, and we hope you are too. Um, but what we thought about as we were kind of planning out the sermons for the month is, you know, August is pretty different for us. And so what we wanted to do was take the next few weeks to cover like a variety of different topics. And so we're not going to have like a sermon series for the month of August. We're going to kind of look at some different things throughout the month. Um, so like next week, uh, next week is our, uh, we're going to be celebrating communion together, remembering the sacrifice that Christ made for us. And so we're actually going to take the whole morning to teach about communion and learn about communion and then celebrate communion together. And then the week after that uh, is our Water Day event, which we love. It's one of our favorite, uh, favorite Sundays of the year. And with, with Water Day, what that means is we do a family service in this room. So all the kids will be in here with us, and we're going to be singing together and playing games together and learning together and growing together. And that's always a fun, exciting time. So August looks a little bit different, and we're glad that you're going to be here to be a part of it with us. So so as Ron and I were sitting down and kind of planning out the month, he said, well, you can go ahead and talk about whatever you want on August 5th then. And that's, listen, the last two times I've had to speak, I've had to talk about lust and the Antichrist. So it can only, it can only go up from here. So like, I'm, I'm excited about the opportunity to kind of speak about whatever I want. He gave me permission to speak about whatever I want. And so, um, so I, I was thinking about it. And Ron and I have been talking, and as a staff we've been talking, what are some things that we're observing in the world around us? What are some things that we're seeing going on in the world around us? And how can we as a church kind of address those things and talk about those things? And so um, one of the things I know that I've been thinking about lately, that I've been watching lately, that I've been kind of observing, not just amongst us as a church, but as a society as a whole, is how we use our words, is how we communicate with each other. Um, that's been something that's been, I'll be honest, it's been something that's been weighing on me a lot recently. And there's a few reasons why. Like, over the last few years, just over the last few years, I've seen the way that we as a society, we as Christians, we as people, communicate about things change drastically. Especially things like sensitive topics, topics about like our faith. Um, I mean, we, we can debate and discuss and argue about anything, can't we? The, the news, sports, the right way to put the toilet paper on the toilet paper roll. And there is a correct way to do that, in case you were wondering. I mean, they're, they're, we debate about everything. And then especially in these last few years, as I've watched the news, and you look at elections, and you look at politics, and you look at all these different things, the way we have communicated with each other has changed dramatically. And I'm going to be 100% honest, it's, it's a little scary to me. It's a little unnerving to me to watch the way that we talk to each other, to watch the way that we communicate with each other. I'm going to share a few observations. This isn't like, this isn't out of the Bible, this is me, all right? And you can disagree with me, and that's fine. But just a few things that I've observed and a few things that I've seen, and just one of the, re this is just giving you the reason why I want to talk about what we're going to talk about this morning. 
some things that I'm seeing. I'm seeing, a, as we debate about a sensitive topic, whether it's a topic about religion, about faith, about uh, politics, about whatever it might be, I'm noticing, and I've heard other people use this kind of analogy, where we're, we're building these camps. We're building these camps. And we, it doesn't matter what topic you're talking about, it doesn't matter what subject you're talking about, we're building camps. And the thing about camps is this, is that we love our camp. We love our camp. And whenever we build our camps around a topic or a discussion, we build that camp with people that talk just like us, sound just like us, believe all the same things as us. We build that camp really well, and we feel really, really comfortable in that camp. But then as we're in our camp, there's lots of other camps going on all around us. And here's where I get a little nervous, because the way that we communicate with other camps isn't to go out and have a discussion with somebody in the other camp, it's to lob a grenade at the other camp. And we do that behind a computer screen. We do that behind a phone. We, we, we do that in a lot of different ways that I think can be destructive for us to lob grenades at other camps. And rarely, if ever, will we step outside of our camp to have a discussion with somebody who might think a little differently than us, who might have a different perspective than us. Now listen, just let me qualify this, all right? When I say we step outside of our camp to have that discussion, that does not mean we compromise our faith. That does not mean we compromise our values. That does not mean we compromise who we are as believers in Jesus. But are we willing to even engage somebody in a different camp? I'm seeing less and less and less of that in today's world. And can I be 100% honest with you? I think that hurts our effectiveness as followers of Jesus. I think it does. I think it hurts our effectiveness as followers of Jesus. If we encamp ourselves with people who just think, talk, and act like we do, and we're unwilling to engage people in another camp, we lose our impact. We lose our influence. We lose our ability to make a difference in the world around us because we're unwilling. Now listen, Ron said I could talk about whatever I wanted to talk about. So, I mean, I know this is like, might be a little tough, but here's the thing. Here's the other thing I'm noticing. I'm feeling like we're being fed a lot of bad examples on how to communicate with each other. We're being fed a lot of bad examples. Whether it's, a, whether it's an actor or an athlete or a politician showing us how to communicate with each other, it being an example for how we communicate with each other. And it's not a good example. It's not a good example. Over the last few years, I've watched, let's just use politicians as an example. I've watched politicians who use, uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll call it very direct language, very forceful language. And listen, that may or may not get stuff done in Washington, D.C. But here's the thing. It rarely, if ever, gets stuff done in our neighborhoods, and in our families, and in, with our spouses, and with our kids. And so I think we're being fed a lot of bad examples. And so what do we do with that? What do we do with that? How do we respond and react to the things that we're seeing in the world around us? I think we need to evaluate and understand the power of our words. Your words are powerful. The way you communicate those words, the way you communicate the truth is important. It means something. It matters. And I know it matters because here's, here's the example I can think of. We can all remember times when somebody gave us a really nice compliment, can't we? I mean, we can remember that conversation in detail. 
We can remember all the nice things that somebody said about us, how, how nice we look, or how smart we are, or how kind we are, or how, uh, something nice about our personality or our character. We can remember those compliments. We can remember those conversations. And on the flip side of that, we can also remember in vivid detail when somebody tears us down and uses their words to wound us and hurt us, can't we? Maybe even more so than when somebody compliments us. We can remember those conversations. We can remember exactly what they said, exactly how they attacked our appearance or our character or our personalities. We remember in vivid detail every part of those conversations because your words are powerful. My words are powerful. Our words as a church, as believers in Jesus Christ, are powerful. And those destructive words stick with us. Like maybe, when, like maybe when you were in sixth grade, there was a girl named Cassie, and we're going to call her that because that was her name. And Cassie, and Cassie was the meanest girl in the class, and Cassie one day decides to tell you that your clear plastic rim glasses are not very cool like you think they are. And she also proceeds to tell all the other girls in your class that you put too much gel in your hair. And then you, being a sensitive sixth grade boy, go home and cry that night. I mean, that's just an example. I'm not saying that ever happened. I'm just saying... But that sticks with us, doesn't it? I remember Cassie leaning across the aisle to talk to the girl in the desk next to her, sitting right I was sitting right in front of them and hearing every word of that conversation. I remember it because words are powerful. Words carry weight. Words matter. And so we need to evaluate our words. We need to ask ourselves how it is that we're using the words that God is giving us to speak. So that's what I want us to do this morning. To help us do that, we need to go to Scripture. We need to see what God says about how it is that we communicate. And one of the best places in Scripture that you can go to learn about how to use your words is the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is full of amazing truth that can help us understand how we communicate with each other. Solomon writes the book of Proverbs. Solomon is a king. He's a man of influence, and, and he's a man of power, and he's, a, and he's a man who knows and understands the importance of words. Solomon spends a lot of time in the book of Proverbs talking about our words. And so we're going to look at Proverbs chapter 15. And in Proverbs chapter 15, in just the first four verses, we're going to see three really impactful, important lessons that we can learn on how we communicate and how we speak to the world around us. So that's kind of where I want us to go this morning. Um, Proverbs chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. Here's what it says. It says, A gentle answer deflects anger. But harsh words make tempers flare. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge appealing. But the mouth of a fool belches out foolishness. The Lord is watching everywhere, keeping his eye on both the evil and the good. And then verse 4. Gentle words are a tree of life. A deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. The lessons we're going to talk about this morning, listen, it doesn't just apply to a political debate. It doesn't just apply to a discussion about our faith. It applies to how we communicate with our spouse. It applies to how we communicate with our kids. It applies to how we communicate with our neighbors and our coworkers and our classmates and everybody else that we come in contact with. These simple lessons are lessons that work across the board. Lessons that I think can help us as followers of Jesus have a better impact and better influence in the world around us. So let's look at these lessons that, that Solomon gives. First one. First, first lesson he gives us is to speak gently. To speak gently. Look at verse 1 again. A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. One of the reasons I love the book of Proverbs is that you can take like a single verse and like 
have a whole like sermon on it because Solomon breaks it down into really simple statements that are really easy to understand and easy to apply to our lives. And so Solomon gives us these lessons, and I love the way he writes it. He writes it in really simple, short statements. He gives you the positive example first and then the negative example second. And so I want us to break it down like that this morning as we look at these different statements. And so the first statement is this. It says, um, it says, a gentle answer deflects anger. A gentle answer deflects anger. Now, I think we would all agree, yeah, that makes sense. A gentle answer deflects anger. That, sure, that works, right? But does it always work in real life? When somebody's coming after you, and you can tell that they're angry, like steam coming out of their ears, loaded for bear, ready, they're on the attack. They're coming at you. Our first response, our first reaction as human beings isn't always a gentle answer, is it? We get defensive. We put up a wall. We want to we fire back. That person's lobbing a grenade at me. I want to lob one back. I've got one in the chamber. Like, I know exactly what I can say right now that can hurt that person. I know what will push their buttons. I know what I could do to make this situation even worse. But a gentle answer deflects anger. A gentle answer deflects anger. We see examples in Scripture where this works. And, and listen, I know that it's hard. And I know that this, this doesn't always work the first time in real life, but we see examples in Scripture where this, a gentle answer deflects anger. If you look at 1 Samuel chapter 25, 1 Samuel chapter 25, you have a woman by the name of Abigail, all right? Abigail's husband has done some really bad things, and he's really kind of screwed things up for King David. He put King David in a really bad situation, a really dangerous situation where he could have died, and King David is mad. And King David is coming back to town to find Abigail's husband, probably to kill him. Because he's that fired up at, the, at, at Abigail's husband. Abigail knows that David is mad. Abigail knows that David is on his way. Abigail cuts him off on the way to town. And what does Abigail do? She apologizes for the behavior of her husband. Her gentle answer dissipates the situation, diffuses the situation, totally changes David's demeanor, David's attitude about the situation. But she had to be proactive to step in with that gentle answer. There are going to be times in our life when we know people are coming for us, when we know they're on the attack, when we know they might not even be angry at us, they might just be angry at something that's going on around them, and we know that they're angry, and we know they're coming to us, and we need to be proactive with a gentle answer to diffuse and to deflect the anger that they might be feeling. This is hard in real life. This is a challenge in real life, but it's something that can help us as we try to deal with people and communicate with people on an everyday basis. Anger, anger is kind of like a storm, isn't it? Like you can feel, sometimes you can feel anger building, can't you? You can feel the tension kind of growing in the room. You can see that something bad is about to happen. You can feel it growing and growing and growing like a storm. I mean, we live on the west coast of Florida. Almost every single day you can look up in the sky and see a storm coming. You can see the clouds changing. You can begin to hear that roar of thunder a little bit. And you know that something is about to happen. Anger a lot of times works the same way. And when we see that storm building, when we see that tension building, our gentle answer can deflect and dissipate that anger. But we have to be proactive and step in to the conversation and not wait for it to blow up and not wait for it to get out of control, but be willing to step in with a gentle answer to dissipate and deflect it. The second statement, Solomon says that harsh words make tempers flare. 
Harsh words make tempers flare. If you go to the Hebrew, like this was written in Hebrew, if you go back to the Hebrew language of how this was written, the, the words that were used to describe tempers flaring are the same words they used to describe a flame or fire. And that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? That anger is a lot like a flame. Anger can start off as just a simple comment, a simple suggestion, a, 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 a look that somebody gives you, a, a comment or a joke that they make behind your back, and all of a sudden that little flame starts. But over time that flame grows and grows and grows. If we don't step in and do something and become proactive with it, that flame continues to grow. Solomon says that harsh words make tempers flare. So we have a choice. We can choose to respond with a gentle answer or we can choose to respond with harsh words. And when we choose to respond with harsh words, like our, like our human instinct will tells, tells us we want to do, all we're doing is pouring gasoline on that flame. And it continues to grow and become more destructive and become more dangerous. So we have a choice to let our gentle answer diffuse anger or to let our harsh words help that temper flare. We need to be constantly reminded to choose gentleness over anger. And again, this is a simple statement, right? A gentle answer, yeah, that makes sense. So why do we struggle with this so much? Why do we struggle with this so much? I think I know, I think I know one of the reasons why we struggle with it so much, our pride. Our pride. My pride won't allow me to, come to respond with a gentle answer sometimes. Because my pride says, defend yourself. My pride says, fire back. Sometimes my pride doesn't allow me to take responsibility for my part in the situation. It blinds me. It disguises my responsibility. And so we have to be able to work through our pride to be able to arrive at a gentle answer. And man, that's challenging. And I know that's hard, especially in today's environment, in the way we're communicating as a world today. It's, this is a challenge for us. But it's a challenge we need to accept. And so this week, where we see anger, where there is anger, may we choose to speak gently. The second lesson, second lesson I think Solomon gives us is to speak wisely, to speak wisely. Look at verse 2. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge appealing, but the mouth of a fool belches out foolishness. I like the words that they use here to describe this. It's very descriptive. It's hel it helps us, right, to understand what he's talking about here. Let's, let's again, break it down statement by statement. The first statement, the tongue of the wise makes knowledge appealing. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge appealing. The wise know when to say something and how to say it. The wise don't just have a piece of wisdom or a piece of knowledge or a piece of truth to share with somebody. They also understand the environment that they're in. They understand the people that they're dealing with. They understand the circumstances that they're in. And that helps them communicate that truth in a way that is appealing. Sometimes you're going to be asked to to share a hard truth. We've all heard that statement that the truth hurts, right? The truth hurts. Sometimes the truth hurts. But we have the option to, de to determine how we're going to deliver that truth. The wise understand the people that they're dealing with. The wise understand the environment that they're in. The wise understand the way that communication happens in that environment, and they respond accordingly. They don't just spit out information, even if it's true. They don't just spit it out because they understand if they did that, it would cause more damage and it would fall on deaf ears and it wouldn't make the impact that it could make if they took the time to evaluate the situation and, de and to determine the best way to deliver that truth. 
So the wise make knowledge appealing. It's not just that they have wisdom, they know how to communicate that wisdom, and their words are useful and acceptable to the people around them. Again, I'm not saying that we dumb down the truth, I'm not saying we water down the truth, I'm saying we just, we have to evaluate how we communicate that truth. I see, again, what I'm observing is that there are a lot of, I guess, good intentioned people that are trying to, to share truth with the world around them, but it's just not working. Because we're not doing it the right way. We're not doing it with the right humility. We're not doing it with the right attitude as we try to declare and share that truth. I think it's just something that we have to examine and evaluate on our own. Each one of us individually. And that's not easy because, listen, sometimes our frustration and our anger is going to get the best of us. And we're going to be so frustrated, we just want to blurt out that truth, that hard truth, that that really difficult message. We're going to just want to blurt it out. Because we're frustrated at somebody, or we're angry with somebody. And that is just, it's not going to work. It's not going to have the same impact it could make if we can step back and evaluate the situation that we find ourselves in. Second part. The mouth of a fool belches out foolishness. I love that the word belches in there, because it's like, it's extremely descriptive, isn't it? It's extremely descriptive. The, the mouth of the fool belches out foolishness. A belch or a burp is extremely offensive, isn't it? It's disruptive, it's gross, it's nasty. My, my, literally, last night at dinner, my six-year-old let out a burp that I didn't know she could make that sound. But, like, we were having a decent conversation at the dinner table, and all of a sudden, that enters the conversation, and everything gets thrown off. Because a belch is intrusive. A belch is disruptive. A belch is not productive in any kind of conversation. And yet a fool belches out foolishness. It's just making sounds. It's just making noise in the wrong place, at the wrong time, in the wrong way. And it's not making any difference or any impact in the world around them. The fool keeps babbling on and on and on, just adding to the chaos in the world around them. We have to be able to evaluate the when, where, and how to share our knowledge and the truth that God has given us. And that's hard to do in today's world. Because again, I think that the way we're communicating with with each other has changed dramatically. It is far easier to try to have a conversation like this electronically than it is to try to have that conversation face-to-face with somebody today, isn't it? It's way easier to send an email. It's way easier to send a text. It's way easier to send a Facebook message. That's just easier. And here's the thing. I think we lose out when we're not willing to have a face-to-face conversation with somebody. You can't read body language in an email. You can't read tone of voice in a text message unless they type in all caps, and then you know they're mad, right? You can't read sarcasm in a Facebook message. You can't read those things. And so I think we miss out. I think we get get misrepresented. I think things get misinterpreted. I think we lose out on the value of communication when we choose to have difficult conversations in that way. It doesn't work. We have to be willing to be proactive, to step out and have difficult conversations. And here's the thing, that might mean that some of us have to be in the same physical room as somebody else and look them in the eye and have a conversation with them. That's, listen, I'm not good at this either, but
But it's something that, I, like, as I've watched the world around me, I've tried to get better at it. If, if somebody, listen, we work at a church, let's just call it what it is. Sometimes we get an angry email every now and then, all right? And when I get those now, one of the first things I do is I invite somebody, would you come and, can we talk? Can we sit down and talk? And I, listen, I'm not looking forward to that conversation as much as the other person, believe me. But I think it's far more productive to have that conversation face-to-face than it is over an email or a Facebook message or a text message. That's a challenge for us. But I believe we become far more effective in our impact and our influence when we're willing to sit down across the table with somebody, even if they think differently than us, even if they're from another camp, even if they've lobbed their grenade and it offends us and it hurts us, are we willing to be the proactive one that's willing to sit down across the table from them? It's a challenge. It's hard. Because with electronic communication, I think there's so much confusion. There's so much misinterpretation. And so this week, where we see confusion, where there is confusion, may we speak wisely. Where there's confusion, may we speak wisely. Then the last lesson. Last lesson comes from verse 4. I believe here Solomon is teaching us to speak healing, or to speak with healing. To speak healing. Look at verse 4 again. Gentle words are a tree of life. A deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. Gentle words are a tree of life. A deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. Let's break down these two statements again. Ready? Gentle words are a tree of life. The NIV translation actually says the tongue that brings healing is a tree of life. The tongue that brings healing is a tree of life. Our words matter. Our words are powerful. Our words have the potential to bring healing to people. Our words have the potential to make peace. Our words have the potential to bring, uh, to, to bring health, emotional, spiritual health to people. Our words have the potential to bring comfort to people, to extend blessing to people. That's the potential power of our words. And just like our words can bring healing and be a tree of life, on the opposite side of that, just like Solomon says in the second statement, is that deceitful words, a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. So just as much as your words can bring life and hope and peace and comfort to somebody, your words can also tear somebody apart. You can crush somebody's spirit just with the power of your words. You can wound people with the power of your words. You can hurt people and damage people with the power of your words. Your words are that powerful. They're that influential. And so we have to be careful on how we use them. Some of us know that we have used our words to hurt and wound other people. We know we have. In a moment of anger, in a moment of jealousy, in a moment of rage, in a moment, I don't know what kind of moment, but we, many of us can identify a moment in our lives when we have used our words to inflict damage and to wound other people. And maybe as we evaluate our words this week, we need to have a conversation with that person. To, to apologize, to ask for their forgiveness, to begin to turn our words from words that do damage to words that bring health and comfort and peace to that person. On the flip side of that, some of you, a lot of us, have been the victim of somebody else's words. You've been the victim of somebody else's words. Somebody else's words have crushed your spirit. Somebody else's words have wounded you. 
have hurt you, have scarred you and left a stain on your heart and on your mind. Let me just say this, that as powerful as those words are, those words do not define you. Those words do not define you. Those words that were used against you do not define who you are. Those words that were used against you does not limit what God can do in you and through you. Words are powerful. God is more powerful. So do not let the words that have done damage and wounded your heart define who you are. That is not who you are. Because the tongue that brings healing is a tree of life. A tree of life. My family, we, um, we love to go to Disney World. My girls love Disney. Like, if there were unlimited funds at our house, we'd probably be there every day. And they, I mean, you know, for, for our family, it's one of the happiest places on earth. I understand for some of you, it's like the least happiest place on earth. But for, I have two girls that are, I mean, Disney is in their wheelhouse right now. You can't go wrong with a day at Disney, all right? So we love to go to Disney, and when, when the wallet allows us, we try to go, all right? And so my girls know a lot about the theme parks. They know a lot about, you know, the, the Disney kind of experience, and we're learning more about it. And here's the thing. Here's some things that we're learning. Did you know that, like, and you probably know this, but at each of those four theme parks in Orlando, each one of those parks has, like, an icon that sits smack in the middle of that park. And that icon helps identify that park. It, gives its, it helps give it its identity. It helps tell you which park you're in right? They put it on t-shirts and hats and stickers, and they jack up the prices on it in the gift shop so you'll buy it. And they do all those things to help you understand what park you're in, right? So let's test your Disney knowledge this morning. Ready? What is the icon at Magic Kingdom? Good. It's Cinderella's Castle, right? What is, and this is a tricky one. What is the icon at Epcot? It's not the big golf ball. It has a name. I know it's a lot of people, oh, the big golf ball. No, it's, it's, it's got a name. It's called Spaceship Earth, all right? What's, what's the icon at Hollywood Studios? It's like the Chinese theater, right? Like they've done a replica of the Chinese theater. And then does anybody know the, the replica or the icon at um, Animal Kingdom? It's literally called the Tree of Life. It's called the Tree of Life. It's an amazing structure. It's pretty cool. I have a picture of it. Let's, let's put that on the screen. So there's the Tree of Life. It's crazy. That, that tree is 145 feet tall. It has 325 carvings of different animals in the side of that tree. But here's the catch. I just found this out. That's not a real tree. That's not a real tree. Did you know that? I was just there a couple months ago. I like knocked on it. That thing's made of concrete. <laughs> that thing has 100,000 man-made leaves on it. Man-made. That thing is made of foam and steel and concrete. It's not a real tree. It was made by human hands. People put that tree together. People built that tree in the middle of that park. It's a beautiful thing, but they built it. And just like human hands built that tree, our words have the power to build a tree of life in the world around us. Our words have the power to build a tree of life right where we're at, in our home, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our church, in the world around us. Our words can build a tree of life. Our words can build a tree of life that offers relief, that offers shade, that offers shelter to people who are hurting. That tree of life that we build with our kind, loving, and compassionate words. 
gives and it, pr- it promotes life, it promotes health, it promotes, a, it promotes hope in the world around us. Your words have the power to build a tree of life like that. That can provide so much relief to a world that so desperately needs it. But just like our words can build a tree like that, our deceitful words can also start to tear it down. And as we begin to use deceitful words, as our language changes, we begin to rip the branches of that tree off. And all of a sudden, that nice shade, that shelter, that relief that we've offered to people disappears. And now they're out in the sun again, they're burning and they're hurting. That's the power of our words. Our words have the power to build people up. They have the power to tear people down. This week, let's start planting trees. Let's start planting trees of life through our words that build hope and peace and comfort and kindness in our homes, in our schools, in our work, in our neighborhoods, in our church. Wherever it is that we find ourselves, may we start planting trees. Trees that offer life and hope. That's the power of our words. That's the power of our words. So this week, we're going to see people that are hurting. We're going to see people that need some shade. They need some shelter. They need some encouragement. They need some kindness. So this week, where there is hurt, may we speak healing. Where there is hurt, may we speak healing. Here's the reality. The reality is, is that it isn't always natural for us to communicate gently, wisely, or with healing. This is a challenge for us. In today's environment, in today's world, communicating this way kind of goes against the culture that we live in. And so we need help in order to do this. Like I said, I feel like we've been fed a lot of bad examples of how it is that we're supposed to communicate with the people that we come in contact with every day. But fortunately, God has given us the perfect example to follow. God sent his son Jesus to this earth. Jesus lives a perfect life and the perfect model for us to look at and model our lives after. If you study the Gospels, if you look at the story of Jesus, you're going to find that Jesus, Jesus spoke gently. Jesus spoke gently. At the same time, Jesus spoke wisely. When there was a hard truth to be shared, when there was a difficult message that had to be said, Jesus said it. He didn't back down from it. But Jesus also understood the environment that he was in. He understood the people that were around him. He understood the circumstances of what was going on. And he made the truth appealing. And you better believe that Jesus spoke with healing. If you think about the story of the woman at the well, Jesus' words were healing. Jesus, whether it was through a physical healing or emotional healing or spiritual healing for people, Jesus spoke with healing. And so we have an example to follow. We don't have to look around trying to figure this stuff out. We have an example to follow in the life of Jesus. Now it's our choice. It's our choice to decide how we're going to interact with the world around us. Are we going to speak gently? Are we going to speak wisely? And again, don't misunderstand. I'm not saying we back down from the truth. I'm just saying, are we understanding the best possible way to communicate that truth to the world around us? And are we speaking with healing? Are we offering comfort and peace to people who need it so desperately? 
I, I think many of you have decided that you are going to be a follower of Jesus because that same gentleness and hope and peace and comfort that Jesus spoke with are the same things that Jesus offers us. He offers us that hope. He offers us that peace. He offers us that way to have a right relationship with God because of what he has done for us on the cross. He's offered us that hope. And many of you have made the decision that you're following, you're going to follow Jesus, that you're doing your very best through the power of the Holy Spirit to live your life for him. But maybe some of you in this room haven't. Or you're struggling with the idea of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. If that's you, man, I would love to talk to you more about that. I would love to, to speak to you about what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. There will be people that would be down front here when we're done that would love to talk to you. Please understand that that same hope, that same example that Jesus set for us, he offers to us because he loves us. So this week, this week, may we be people who speak gently. May we be people who speak wisely. And may we be people who speak with feeling. Offering hope and peace to the world around us. Let's pray. God, I thank you that we can turn to you. That in a world of chaos, in a world that we don't always understand, in a world that doesn't make sense, that you're, you're constantly there for us. Thank you for that gift. God, may we turn to you when we feel anxious. May we turn to you when we feel frustrated. May we turn to you when we feel angry. So that whenever we speak out, whenever we communicate with the world around us, may we do it in a way that exemplifies you and your son. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for King Solomon who can teach us such practical lessons for our lives. Thank you that we can take those lessons and make them happen here in our world today. God, give us the strength to do that. Give us the courage to do that. Empower us with your spirit to do that. God, we thank you. We praise you. In your name we pray. Amen.